0: Welcome back to the Sandcast Podcast, presented by Wilson, our favorite volleyball. And at some point here, we'll take a YK water break because, you know, been lucky enough to have them hydrating us during the show. Uh, Today, we have Ed Keller back on the show. It's, It's not everybody that gets to come on twice, but when you're the encyclopedia of beach volleyball we got to bring you on. How you doing, Ed?
1: Yeah, I appreciate it, try. I'm doing well. Just thinking about all this stuff that's going on in volleyball. This year was was really a cool year for fans, players, coaches alike. New things, different things happening, new organizations running the various pro leagues. Yeah. A lot of reaction to that. I think that's a big part of sort of this end-of-season reflection. Yeah. Is to think about where are we? Did things improve? From a fan's perspective, the two tours. From players' perspective, yeah. from a revenue, like can you make a good living doing this? Yeah, there's a lot going on right now. It's it's pretty intense. That's why it's cool to have you on the show, actually, because we
0: don't really get that fan perspective on the show, and you know maybe we should bring more fans on. But you're like the ultimate fan because you're <laughs> you're like a hybrid coach, hybrid historian of the sport, hybrid uh, player yourself. And, but also just the ultimate family. I'm like, going to make this actually clear, actually by the way.
1: I'm going to make this clear. I was never a very good player. I played yeah, but you I play barely, in I the South I barely scraped Bay. AAA. I won a couple matches in a mm-hmm. couple first rounds of qualifiers. But, and I played a lot of four-man. So, like, but my perspective early on, I was kind of lucky. I, I moved to California when I was 19. I was still in college back mm-hmm. east. And my parents moved to 8th Street Hermosa. And, and kind of one of the interesting things I've been thinking about this last couple weeks is Rosie, right? Yeah. Because he just got in the Hall of Fame, very rarely, I wanted him ballot. to come
0: on the podcast oh. with you. We,
1: we might need to brag about that guy a little bit. He's one of my favorite
0: human beings of all time. Yeah, so do they actually have ballots for the – it's a CBVA Hall of Fame. That's right. They which do is, have ballots. So that's just California. And, and is there another I, Hall of Fame? There.
1: Okay, so or there's – This is the one you want to be there's in. There's a, a volleyball overall Hall of Fame in Royal, right. Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. There's an international – volleyball hall of fame i think somewhere probably in switzerland yeah, yeah yeah but this is the one this is the cba the california beach hall of fame this is the beach and, volleyball and the, this is interesting because you have to really have an impact on california beach volleyball i think uh-huh. to be considered so rosie you know I, I move here and i go down to a street where my parents are living you know because i'm like well oh, cool, i'm playing a game of volleyball whatever right. it's like the summer of 97 so they got 96 we were living closer to marine street 97 in the winter they moved to a street so Ninety seven. Rosie's like 17 at the time. Right. I think he had his 17th birthday at the beginning of that summer. I didn't really know him. So I walked down and I see this court and I go, oh, there's and there's this one guy and he's a kid and he's the skinniest you've ever seen that body. His quads are the (laughs) most giant craziest quads. And he's he's doing everything you you've never seen. He's jumping like, you know, over like chest high over the net. And everyone's like, oh, that's Rosie. And I'm like, oh, I want to meet this guy, you know? And so mm-hmm. I go up and, hey, I'm Ed. Nice to meet you. I live mm-hmm. up the street, whatever. And we kind of kind of started hanging. But uh, that was the impact he had on the sport. I, there's no other player I can remember myself saying, I'm going to go to everything he plays. I don't care if it's a four-man, if it's a triple-A tournament, if it's a, some kind of a drunk draw. I'm going <laughs> to watch this guy play. Yeah. As a, a young fan at that time, I was mm-hmm. about 20 and I'd been playing volleyball only for maybe about four or five years. Yeah. But I drove up and down the coast for an entire summer and watched every AAA tournament he played in because it was so captivating.
0: Yeah, and aside from just how legitimately good he was at volleyball at the highest, highest level, he ha- kind of had this aura about him as well. It was like uh, like, like someone else could uh, have an, an amazing legacy without actually being that good at volleyball. The way that he interacted and like was or is just, like, the definition of the volleyball community in the South Bay. And then you go international and you go travel overseas. Everybody knows Rosie, hangs out with everybody.
1: How many players do you know that when they lose a match in a limited tournament, go right in the stands to kick back with the crowd, have a quick beer, like... And he's that guy who loves it so much that losing or winning the match is important to you guys so much Mm -hmm. because it depends on how much money you make. Mm -hmm. But that was out of his thoughts within a split second. And he was hanging with his boys or with the crowd in whatever country, wherever it was, he just loved it. And he was such a genuine and still is one of the nicest, kindest, sweetest human beings I've ever met. And he never has a bad thing to say about anyone. He's just just a, just an amazing human being, yeah. you know, and that, that's the thing about Rosie, that genuine love of the sport.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Right. And, and from a, he started playing at 13. There's a guy named Dale Smith. It's like the sport raised Rosie yeah. basically. Well, well, this guy, Dale Smith basically, you know, saw him down at the beach, started teaching him how to play volleyball. Dale was, you know, like an AA guy, mm-hmm. you know, good, like a good local player, yeah. kind of a smaller guy. And him and Rosie just played double A's then through triple A's there was a summer Rosie hurt his his right shoulder and he played the whole summer left handed in triple A tournaments with Dale and and played and they they
0: played well that actually explains a lot in terms of like what he was able to do with his left
1: hand later in his career. Yeah, it's because he heard it. It was I think he was sixteen. It was before I knew him, but I everyone told me the and story. How many people would not play that summer, right? Yeah, rest well, your be like, Oh, I hurt my shoulder. I guess I'm gonna have to rehab. He just goes, no, nah, I'm just gonna play the whole summer left handed. He, <laughs> right. he was gnarly left handed. <laughs> you I'm sure. know what I mean? So like that was the thing. Is is Dale kind of gave Rosie a place to feel empowered and and love and brought this love of the game to him. And Rosie was an all-star in every sport he played. Right, I'm but sure. because of the various things with school, you know, volleyball was the thing he could do without having to go to go to high school. Right, you know, so he could three sixty dunk both ways when he was sixteen. Yeah, I, I mean, think it. about how many people can even three sixty dunk at all. How I want to try to explain the fans that
0: didn't get to watch him back in the day, and I don't even know if I—I I don't think I can say that I. Sure, on, when I when you came in around two thousand eight nine. When no, was you?
1: no, no, two thousand.
0: You were twelve. Twelve. You, oh, was that when yeah. you came in? Okay. So like, it's hard to I'm say that to he wasn't in his prime because he was you still winning with million Phil. dollar events. Wow, yeah, <laughs> right. Okay.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, I,
0: so yeah, my first year on tour, I think, was his first year with Phil. Yeah.
1: That's wow. Uh, okay. Right.
0: Yeah. So twelve. I was twelve years with AP. Jake still. But yeah. It was like, right but after, when
1: you went international with Hayden, He was playing with Phil. Yes. Right. Yeah. So he was. At the top of the sport. I mean, it was, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. 13 was my first full it's, year. It's
1: interesting because I, I try to explain to people like, Rosie was the best player in the world in 2012, but he was more explosive when he was younger. Mm. He was more doing crazier things. I think right. he learned to rein that in and make the best volleyball play. Yeah. But when he was 18, 19, and and I, I had the lucky, fortunate, the best tournament I ever had was Rosie asking me to play in a triple-A with him one time. And I didn't deserve to be there. <laughs> it was way above my level. I'm I'm fine admitting that. Um, we got fourth, so I got my triple-A rating. Unfortunately, you know, that means for another year and a half, I couldn't play in the normal A's and double-A's uh-huh. I, I liked playing in. Right. <laughs> but the, the point I'm making about the story is we get to the match to get into the semifinals, to get basically get my triple-A rating. Yeah. And we're playing a guy, Justin Perlstrom who played in the AVP in the 90s. And I don't know who his partner was, but Rosie goes, that other guy, that's the guy you're going to serve. He literally tells me, just serve that guy. He looks a little tired. Fine. Okay. So I started serving this guy. Rosie blocks the guy 11 times. Remember, we used to play for 15 points, right? In a side out scoring. So Rosie blocks this guy 11 times for points in a 15 point game. Okay. And, And some of them weren't even traditional blocks. He waited for the guy to hit a high line shot and jumped and spiked the high line shot back at this guy. Shit like that. Excuse me, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on the yes, podcast. absolutely. Okay. Shit like that was like, you just sat there. You're, if you're on the court, it's even weirder than being a fan because you're thinking like, how does he know? How and he, he wasn't like coached
0: in any traditional sense. No, so never. So that's when you start to see players get really
1: creative yes. and like fluid with and doing crazy stuff where you're like, oh. Well, and like, he was chest over the net. I mean, he's 6'4 and reaches, you know, the net's and, like And he's one, a right? defender yeah. his whole but time on but he was the a blocker. Tour. At that time. Right. Right. He played blocker more often when he was young. So he played right. with Casey Jennings for some tournaments he was uh-huh. blocking. Larry Witten, him split block. Um, Mark Williams, he played more defense with. Carlucci, he played more defense with. But early on, he did a lot of both. Yeah. Because in the – you know, remember before your time, there weren't – like you said, six 6'8 guys didn't really exist. Right. Right. It wasn't – Blockers like could Ricardo be sick. was like, yeah. uh, like, he would a be freak. the biggest freakish guy ever right. at that time. Yeah. So, if you were a 6'4 blocker, you were okay. Even Dax Oldren was a very successful blocker. Do you ever see Dax Oldren play? I didn't get to see him play much. So, Dax was a Santa Barbara guy, right? Played yeah. with Todd Rogers mm-hmm. in high school. John Lee, who just got inducted in the Hall of Fame, was their coach. Played with Wong in the Olympics, uh, Steino. Right?
0: Oh, Stein, got you, Yeah, got
1: Steino and Dax, and so. Interestingly enough, signs taller than Dax. Dax is about 6'2". Signs about 6'4". Oh, Dax wow. did the blocking mostly, right? And he was very successful. They won a lot of tournaments. He played with Fnoy yeah. as a blocker. He played with Todd Rogers as a blocker. And he was 6'2". And- I love you, Dax. If you watch this, you didn't jump very high, but you were an amazing <laughs> athlete. I played with his cousin in college, so I, Dare Holdren, so I can say this and gotcha. be okay with it. Yeah. But uh, Dax was a phenomenal hand-eye. Right. Pheno- right. So guys like Kenyon Seaman, guys in those days weren't that big, but boy, could they side out. Right, right, on, Even on the small court. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just hit the corner every time with a lot of heat, or if you tried to jump in, they could cut it back yeah, yeah, or yeah, yeah. whatever. So I think like there was a group of players... After the AVP went bankrupt the first time around 98, 99, and 2000, it kind of resurrected. They were still hanging on, they were great players in the 90s. You saw like Whitmar still played for a while. Yeah. There were guys who still played for a bit. And then, then you s- got the
0: 16 year old.
1: Slowly but surely, all of a sudden, the guys like Rosie appear. Well, I mean, there weren't a lot of, there really is no other Rosie. But right. Rosie appears. He does qualify at 16. Well, he was about to turn 17 the next week. It's a funny story he'll tell you because he they actually lost the game to get in. But the team that beat them was from Poland, and the AVP had a cap on foreign teams. This was the 97. Oh, so they got it. They called it the Manhattan Open, but technically it was being played in Hermosa. Um and there's international teams? Yeah, well they would come and play because two were allowed in. Oh gotcha. But if there was already two in the main draw, if you qualified, then you were not allowed to play. Mm. So that happened. So Rosie and Dale got in. And I still it's so funny, he left the VHS tape at my house for like ten years. I still watch every once in a while of that tournament know, of him. Yeah. And he, he maybe had another copy. I don't know. So it was him against Ack and Louie. Him and Dale played Ack and Louis. They were down 14-0. He told the story of the CBA Hall of Fame. It was, it was great. They end up getting four points and then losing. But Ack and Louie in ninety-seven we're winning gnarly. tournaments. Gnarly.
2: Where
1: Scott up; is gnarly. Then they play John Anselmo and a guy named Eric Moore from Colorado. They call yeah. him Sally. And they lost like 15 to 11 or 12. Right. So, like, Rosie was at 16, almost 17, was competing, though. Right. Like, it wasn't like he went into a pro tournament and just got blown out. I mean, right. in the second round game against a pretty good, solid veteran team, he almost won the game. And he was playing with Dale, who, you know, great. I love you, Dale, and you're great. But obviously, Rosie was going yeah. big places, you know. And, and but, has there been anyone that,
0: that um, you can compare athleticism to? To Rosie and his
1: it's, it's There's things Obviously
0: like... Obviously, not height. Here's what that, I would say. Jason like
1: Ring is an interesting idea because Ringer had the same kind of jump. Uh, he, I wouldn't, he didn't have a successful of a career, but he did win. He didn't have the touch and the feel right. for the game. The, the, what Rosie had... First of all, Rosie didn't handset set until he played with Jacob. Oh, almost really? at all. He told me, he's telling me, I don't need to handset. I just bump set everything, and that way I won't get called and I won't right. lose a point. And that was kind of the old school mentality. Yeah, he set and he was his touch, his like passing and setting was phenomenal. Oh, yeah. Right, right. His his feel for the game and his understanding of how to play the other team, mm. like he didn't need to do a lot of scouting. We'd go, like I traveled him a little bit when he was playing with Phil and other people overseas, and he'd just tell me before the game, "Here's the exact strategy how to beat this team," and he'd have it dialed mm-hmm. in. Without studying, he just that's actually a
0: surprising thing. You would think that that's something I learned. You'd think that Rosie's the kind of guy, um, that is just feels the game and it's just natural. I just step out there and play, I yeah. don't need like a to think too much. No, He's not he, really thinking he too had
1: much. a game plan, but he didn't spend a lot of time studying ahead of time, right? You know, but what's he, a good but story he, about he Rosie? He had a
0: good. F- feel for it yeah. and, he, and he has strategy in it like you watch him play poker oh, yeah. like stuff like this this guy's thinking <sighs> yes and he understands he's a brilliant strategy. sports mind his, Where,
1: yeah yeah his mom told me sorry to cut you off try but his mom told me when he was two he would watch football games and understand all the plays He would say, Oh, that's the wide receiver going on a post route. Like when he was like two or three years old. (laughs) It was like he's just has that brilliance of understanding of all sport. Yeah. Like it just made sense to him. So when he came to volleyball, there's not that many pieces, Mm. moving pieces, so he could really understand the strategy, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, Very quickly.
0: Right. Yeah. Rosie, legend. He's I'm so happy for him. It's
1: it's such a beautiful thing to see him inducted in the Mm -hmm. Hall of Fame because. Again, it's not about how many turns you win or all this other stuff. It's just about A, what an amazing human being is, but B, what an impact he had on the game because things like the Vegas line, you know, I was standing under like the there's there was like a light tower. On that side of the court, yeah. and me and the Rosie Raiders were kind of lined up around that area when that happened. I was sleeping in my car. I drove to Vegas just because <laughs> I was like, "I'm gonna go watch Rosie playing the yeah. King of the Beach." You if know, if you like- haven't
0: seen the Vegas line, just Dude. YouTube it. I think you could just do it. Sean Rosenthal Vegas, <laughs> Vegas line. <laughs> line. That's all
1: you got to put in there. And Lambo was Mike Lambert is yeah. a monstrous spot at the time. This is the weird thing. It's 2005, right? Yeah. Rosie's playing with Larry Witt in his third year. They've won two tournaments. They've had some finals, some semis. But Rosie's really emerging. As people know, he's going to be something really special. He's about 25 at the time. Yeah. But you've got a few blockers at that time. Where the, where the, the Remember, Mike Lambert had been playing with Karch. Mm. Who was, Karch is was basically almost the end of his career at that point. They still won a tournament yeah. at one point playing the I formation, right? Mm. And then you've got Jake Gibb, who was the MVP in 2005, winning four tournaments with Stein. And then you've got a few other guys. One of them was Phil, who was kind of under the radar at that mm. point. People didn't think Phil was going to be the best blocker. Everyone's waiting for Mike Lambert. Mike Lambert's decision was going to define the teams of the next year and right. through the Olympics. Yeah. He decided to grab Stein, which, who was probably the best defender at the time. Right. And if he hadn't got injured... We probably would have had a totally different picture, right? You know, because Lambert and Stein were nasty, yeah. You know, and, for and sure. then and but then you know you have Jake Gibb, the MVP, who's like, okay, I guess I lost Stein. I'm gonna grab this young kid, Rosie. Mm-hmm. And Rosie told some unbelievable stories at that Hall of Fame. And 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 for the for the folks out there, you can watch. Rosie's Hall of Fame speech and all the stories and Jake and all that—it was amazing. So some of those anecdotal stories in there are just were incredible of his time with Jake. It was right. just especially early on, yeah, because it's figuring out that partnership that worked out so well. The for The best him.
0: Rosie was probably 2012 Rosie, where he, where they dominated the world tour, and he was just—he
1: was so dialed in, and, and it took playing with Jake, like like because Jake was so disciplined. Yeah, he had like, all
0: the other things down.
1: The like I spent so. In my single years before I got married in two thousand eight, I was basically out on the beach hanging with the guys all the time because that's what you do, right. right? And I was spent a lot of time with with Rosie and Larry Witt, especially from about two thousand till about maybe two thousand six ish. You know that was and Larry was living down here in Hermosa and Rosie was living in Hermo- various different places. But at one point in Hermosa. And, um, for, for quite a bit of time and, and we would go to the beach and, and they would play a little, but they didn't do any real formal training. Yeah. You know, and that, that was a thing that was just starting to become a thing. Right. So Jake got him into that. All that's that. what Jake knew. He knew if we get a coach and it, they grab Mike Dodd. Right. And if we do formal, like real training, real practices, we're not just going to go out and play matches yeah. with people. We're going to work on our weaknesses a- and we're going to work in the gym. Rosie yeah. had not been in a gym. Right. Right. I mean, it's it's like, how does this, how did he do it? It's funny. He told me once, I'll never forget this. Well, I had a BMX bike when I was a kid, and I would just ride up all, up and down all the big hills in Redondo every day. Like, you know in a BMX bike, how your knees are yeah. all up like this? You ever been you know, to a gym, Rosie? Well, I
0: had a BMX bike once.
1: And I rode up and down <laughs> all these hills, and my legs just got huge and strong. Yeah. Okay, and then I started jumping 45 inches. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, sure, guys. I think mean, that's genetic. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty amazing. Jake took it, though, and said, this is this unbelievable athletic talent, and and over those years, and of course, they had a little blip, because we all know Jake had that little you know, testicular cancer issue yeah, yeah, yeah. that kind of hurt a year or two in the middle, yeah. but then when they got it all together in 2012, they, it was magic, yeah. right? They win, I think, three out of four at one point tournaments, or maybe it was two wins, a second and a third in a row, yeah, something right leading up to the Olympics. Mm-hmm. They were so hot, and 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 they really and they led. They were know, the favorites, right? I think I think they would be considered, if not the favorite, maybe the number two favorite. Yeah, they were really because they were hot leading into the Olympics. Like Germans won that one. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. It was just uh, you know getting fifth isn't bad, but when you're when you're so close, yeah, it must be hard. Like I oh, when you know that when you know that it's yours
0: to win or lose. Yeah. We were talking about that on the yeah. last podcast yeah. with uh, Mel because Mel was the was the favorite. I think yeah. she was the one seed. Yeah. So she had to deal with that, plus being in
1: COVID and all that. It's just a whole different uh, Olympics or experience that you're going through. But isn't it interesting with the Olympics? I've been thinking about this a lot for you guys. It's essentially that's the pinnacle of the sport for better or for worse. And I say that because yeah, no, I, I, I don't totally know agree. that it's really the pinnacle of sport. It's what everyone works towards, and it's all the accolades. But if you have a great long career and win a lot of tournaments outside of the Olympics yeah. and – that would be great as well, I it, think. Um,
0: I think there is – like the sport would be different if it wasn't for the Olympics. Okay. And I think the, the Olympics is so good in so many ways, so you can't really like talk it down. But I think we would have different things and every year we'd have more of like a celebration of the champion of that year. Yeah. Whereas we kind of just blow through these years mm-hmm. and we're just like, oh, they played tournaments. Who you know? Whoever won tournaments is the only way you really get accurate rather right. than or recognized, rather than like really winning the season. Who's going to win this yeah. season? Who is the season? Yeah. Who's the AVP champion this year? Who's the points year? champion? Of the Who's ADP, the points for champion? There I, should be a something.
1: There's this issue, right? When you think about the Olympics with points, because the FIVB has just turned into like, and I love you guys, at volleyball world. Like man, I've had man, a great year, time yeah. meeting them, but. They are essentially making it into a point game with very little prize money. Yeah. In my opinion, and look, like this is only my humble opinion 100%. I just think that they're forcing people to go to events to earn points who don't necessarily want to be there. Yes in weird locations that are hard to get to. And the schedule 100%. this year was a bit disjointed because it was maybe their first year. Yeah. So when you're running elite tournaments going from South Africa to Brazil on consecutive weeks when it's a minimum of a thirty-four hour travel from one to the other, that's now they now next year's tentative schedule You'll all see it soon. They have remedied that particular travel issue. So I appreciate that they're doing that. But I do think that, you know, you can only motivate players with points for so long before they start to just be like, I'm over this. Yeah,
0: you're basically, well, they are over it. You know, I'm in the, the Players Association conversations and... No one's happy. No, not, not the young players be? who are getting all this opportunity because you really just have to win two ev- do well in two events and you you could be top twenty in the world. <laughs> <Exactly>.
1: <laughs> it's what's well, funny because then you see the last two elite sixteens that happened in South Africa and Brazil had no women's qualifier. No one's in Australia. No women's qualifier. Yeah, right. Think about think about running a tournament which is supposed to be the 16. highest level in the world. When only one or two of the top 10 teams even show up, and you're supposed to have 16 teams in a qualifier plus 12 main draw teams, and only 16 total out of 28 potential teams show up, when normally there should be a wait list to get in. That is telling in and of itself, right? That tells the
0: whole story. And and the top players don't want to not go to these big events either, but we're kind of forced to go to these challengers Mm -hmm. so we don't get knocked out because there's so many points in these challengers. Whereas, if you just allowed the top players, l- listen, you're going to go play on this 16 tour. Yeah. The challenger level players are going to play on the challenger level tour. Yeah. And then at some point, there's going to be the top of the challengers are going to replace the bottom. And, and that's
1: what I thought originally was going to happen. It's just a weird thing. And wouldn't it be better? And look, we can sit here and think about the best ideas forever, yeah, of no, course. We don't need but to. wouldn't it be better to have bigger tournaments? and a season that's just just the elite season like 32 teams with a big qualifier and here's the season there's 15 of them or something yeah. rather than having 42 tournaments split among three levels it gets confusing as a fan because i go see qatar win a challenge and then not show up to an elite 16 right. a week later or something and i go well that's weird like why would they play the challenge and then not play the it doesn't like it's there's mixed signals yeah and i think like Volleyball world has to carefully think about the product they're presenting. I will tell you this: their streaming is amazing, right? Their streaming is amazing. Their events I find to be professionally run with a good setup of stands and concessions. Yeah, I mean you can't compare it to the Grand Slams back in the day. No, no, no. (laughs) There's there's not going to be another Clagenfurt. I mean, right? Or or the Vienna version, which is now happening. Okay, so that's a thought I've had because you know Hannes well, and you probably know Wilco well. Mm-hmm. those two guys, are they not the best promoters of the sport probably? They are. And is it not a strange like thing that's happening where neither one of them really wants to work with the volleyball world and the FIEV? I don't know. We could go down this there's rabbit hole. Of, sorry, there's a lot of <laughs> thoughts I've been having about things. I will say this, a, res- a rebirth year for both AVP and international, mm-hmm. so we'll learn a lot more next year right. probably. Uh, and, and AVP, I thought, did a tremendous job with the resources they had this year. Honestly, I, I what do you think about, about AVP and how it went this year?
0: Yeah, so I did hear that, that the resources got basically cut in half from what they had before. So it's tough. Yeah. Um, and that's why we saw some of, the, like, the Fort Lauderdale where you had, like, four <laughs> rows of <laughs> baby stands. Yeah, baby stands. And, um So I think they did a good job with that. Obviously, playing in, for me, seven AVPs might be the most I've ever played in, which is like... It's great, right? And and winning
1: three of them, Granted, like,
0: a lot of the time, or, you know, before COVID and all that, it was... I couldn't play in all of them because of the Olympics, and we'll see how...
1: How that plays out.
0: How that plays out. There is a... At least discussions going on between USA Volleyball and AVP, um, which I don't think will necessarily help in terms of... Allowing us to play AVPs. I actually have suggested that uh, us players get together and be like, hey, let's pick events where they're off limits. Like None of us can go to these international events so that we can all stay home. Nobody's going to leave. have a nice
1: full-field AVP. Nobody's going right? to leave
0: and, and yeah. be the one team to go sneak points while right. we're playing in an AVP. Right, right. We all just agree we're going to play in these AVPs That'd be really cool. Develop this uh, domestic because tour. Because the
1: domestic tour has to be our lifeblood for you as USA yeah. players mm-hmm. and for us as USA fans and and who whatever the role is. I think with USA volleyball, I hope the more can be cooperated on there because the there was a time when the AVP was, you know, as we all know, was a thriving a way for people to make a living and not just the top four, six, eight players, right? There was a time when 30, 40 guys, now it was men only at that time. So I can't really say men and women, but at the time, the men's tour, the AVP in the, in the early nineties, especially up until maybe 95 or 96 was providing a good living for probably 30 or 40 guys you know I mean there was guys getting consistent nines that would make 30 40 grand a year plus endorsements the endorsements were crazy back yeah. then someone told me do you hear this Oakley was paying guys 75 grand to wear Oakley sunglasses. guys can't say that I don't know I have a funny story about Ken Steffes I love that he was on he's honestly one of my favorite players of all time because of his skill and ability and everything I went to high school with his two first cousins and I went stayed with his mom and dad in the summer 93 mm-hmm. I just started playing volleyball and this is my first experience watching beats volleyball so it's interesting my first time watching Beach volleyball match was the Manhattan Open in '93. Uh-huh. And and so my my buddy, who is Kent's first cousin, Josh Apgar, and um, you know, he goes, Hey, we're gonna go out and see my cousin Kent. And I we just started playing high school volleyball together like that past year. And he goes, You wanna come with me? I go, Okay. I was lucky enough, my parents, you know, got me a plane ticket and we stayed with Kent, with Kent's parents, Jackson and I forgot his mom's name. I'm really sad about that. They lived up in Palisades. Right. And we and so here I am watching the Manhattan Open at its abs- I mean, <laughs> at Kent Stenvis's house. From we drove down, you know, to watch the right. open, right? But like but staying stayed, at I at his, parents his house. house. Yeah, I stayed yeah. at his parents' house. And and but it was like back then, how big the stands were at the right. Manhattan Open, it was it must have been 10,000 people. Like it was huge. Dang. Eight or ten. It was mo- I, mean, I mean I could be exaggerating crazy, but it felt like as a Yeah, it well, a- it wasn't like that. Like as much VIP at the time? no, no my, VIP. It was just
0: like straight. It was stands. huge stands on like four big, sides that went bulb. way up. It was kind yeah. of
1: slanted, and then went way up. Yeah, and 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 that the other funny memory. There's a couple memories I have of that that like come through. I'm out here. I'm like 17 years old, and I'm yeah. so starstruck. Right beyond yeah. starstruck. <laughs> Jose Loyola to me was the number one person to see. And I always tell now people, it's just your homie. I know, right? <laughs> Jose is so cool. God, he's the coolest guy ever. But I remember just like being like oh, my God, it's Jose Loyal. Like, it was, there was no one cooler in the universe to me because cool when he would warm up. Yeah. And isn't it funny how those guys, if I was looking at how hard people hit the ball in warm-ups, so yeah, I was When yeah, yeah. you're a oh, young 100%. player.
0: It's like, <laughs> and Loyal was that guy. Oh,
1: he was Just that. Dude. He hit the ball sideways, like halfway up the stands. Like, he didn't hit it down the back part of the stands. He hit it so it would bounce sideways halfway up the stands. Right. I was like, who is this guy? He was apparently 39 inches tested vertical in the sand at that time okay. for Jose. In the sand. In the sand. sand tested at 39 <laughs> inches. So if you just think about how physical he was, I mean, he was that original, almost like a pre Rosie Rosie. Right, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. like, but way more technical because yeah. he came from the Brazilian and he was that guy. I mean, huh. he was the guy. Jose won 55 tournaments. I mean, he's no joke. You oh, know yeah. what I mean? He's like oh, yeah. all-time legend. Right. And, and I love that he's leading the USA Volvo developmental stuff. Yeah. And I love his style and he's just the coolest dude. So still out there every day. Uh, he's grinding, man. Yeah.
0: Yeah, he's a Um, warrior. But what's your outlook, like on the AVP at least, like domestically? I
1: I like, so as long as they can kind of keep what they did this year, I think the fans really enjoyed the experience overall of most of the events. Uh, Certain ones in particular, New Orleans, I had never been to an event in New Orleans. So I went to that one. It was held at this really cool, like sort of beach club kind of spot, like bar restaurant, Coconut beach or something yeah. like that. Dude, that. place I was, still haven't been. That place was sick. And, yeah. I mean, the event was. You know what's fun about it was the party atmosphere. It reminded me of the nineties again. How was like, the event? Like, did it feel professional though, or did it? Yeah, kind of feel I mean, amateur. That one was better. The Coconut Beach one had pretty good stands. Kay. They had like little VIP on either side and stands on two sides and. It felt good. The smaller. I mean, it was smaller. It wasn't the gold series. Yeah. Right. But with what they had there, they had a crowd, like a strong crowd of rabid local fans who mm. loved it. And the volleyball, I think at this point the volleyball has is the best it's ever been. Like skill wise.
2: We're gonna take a quick break from the show, not just any break. This is the Waiakea water break. Now, Waiakea has been keeping us hydrated all year long, not just with any ordinary water. This is Hawaiian volcanic water. And all those bottles you saw, what's really cool is that they're made up of 100% post-consumer recycled ocean-bound plastic. So what that means is that each bottle helps remove the equivalent of five bottles from ocean-bound beaches, waterways, and cities. So they're not just keeping us hydrated, they're helping out the environment too. And try, that's not the only cool thing they're doing. That's right. They're giving back to those in Hawaii through the Kokua Initiative, which
0: supports the local food banks and the nonprofits out there. Another really cool thing is that they make coffee. I'm a big coffee fan, so I'm excited to drink this product. And for every pound of coffee purchased, Waiakea donates a book to a child through its literacy program. So use promo code SANCAST online at waiakea.com to receive 20% off your order. You can also pick some up at 7 Eleven.
2: Live healthy, live sustainably, live ethically, live aloha at waikea.com. Thank you guys, the listeners, for giving support to the sponsors, which then allows us to continue supporting us. It's a virtuous cycle. We love it. We love that you're listening. We love that the sponsors are on board, and we love that Wilson Volleyball has been with us since day one. Almost five years now, Wilson has been working with the boys, and we love those guys. We love the volleyballs they make, the ball carts they make. We love the apparel that they make. I saw Troy Field playing golf with the golf clubs that they make. We love Wilson. Love everything they got, love everything they put out there, and as do you. And to get a 20% discount of all Wilson materials, just the volleyball stuff, get use the discount code SANDCAST-20. All right, that's Sandcast-20 to get 20% off all Wilson materials. I mean, I'd say that off-season's coming up, but there's really no off-season. But at this point in the year, you probably need to restock up on volleyballs. I know I have. I just put it in an order for 15 more. It's about time for you to do the same. So use the discount code Sandcast-20 to restock on all Wilson volleyballs, the best beach volleyball in the game. This podcast is also brought to you by Athletic Greens. And guess what? Try and I just signed on another year-long contract with Athletic Greens, keeping the partnership going because it is one of the best partnerships we could have for this podcast. If you guys aren't on Athletic Greens yet, if you're not – taking those scoops of those green veggies. I cannot recommend it enough. I haven't been sick in two years because of Athletic Greens, and we bring it on the road. They have these awesome little travel packs that they bring. you can bring on the road with you. I bring them everywhere. I haven't missed a day in the last year and a half or so, pretty much ever since me and Tri started working with them. It's basically a multivitamin, the best multivitamin on the block, It's cheap. It's less than $3 a day, which might sound expensive, but if you're investing in your health, it's cheaper than your cold brew coffee habit. It's cheaper than the lattes, and it's way better for you. All right, it's, it's the, the best all-in-one nutritional insurance you can get. I mean, Joe Rogan, he has it. Tim Ferriss is promoting it. Michael Gervais is promoting it. Andrew Huberman's promoting it. All the big dogs are. We're just the little dogs here at Sandcast, and we're promoting it, and we stand by it. Me and Tri, we've been healthy all season long, despite playing two huge schedules this year, and Tri's got another couple big ones coming up with Olympic qualifying. And the best way we're fueling ourselves, athletic Green. And you can feel yourself the same way by using our code, athleticgreens.com slash sandcast. All right, that's where you get our partner deal. You will get five free packs and a year's supply of their vitamin D. That is a year's supply of vitamin D. Now, we're on the beach. We get a lot of it anyway, but you can always use more. It's so good for your immune system. It's so good for your overall health. So that is athleticgreens.com slash sandcast. That's where you will find our partner deal. So I cannot encourage you enough to pick up some athletic greens today. If you love the podcast and want to show how much you love the podcast, then get some Sandcast merchandise. We've got t-shirts, we've got tank tops, we've got coffee mugs, hats, long sleeves, sweatshirts, backpacks, you name it. If you go to sandcastmerch.com, you can find virtually anything you want. And if there's nothing in our store that you don't, that you want, you can just send us an email and we'll make it for you. That's how easy it is. So if you want to rock your the merch of your favorite podcast today, tomorrow, whenever you want to get it, go to sandcastmerch.com and start rocking some Sandcast apparel. Looking for a book to read? Well, I know the absolute perfect one. If you're listening to this podcast, that means you are obviously a volleyball fan of some sort, be it indoors or beach volleyball. And that means that you have probably heard of a guy named Ken Steffes. And if you haven't, well, you can flip open our book, Kings of Summer. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, anywhere books are sold. You can find our book, Kings of Summer, The Rise of Beach Volleyball. Now, Kent, he didn't do interviews for like 20 years after his retirement when he was 30. He's the most dominant beach volleyball player of all time. He won more than half the tournaments he played. He won the 1996 Olympic gold medal with Karch Karai, and we wrote all about it. We had the first inside look of the rise of beach volleyball from the first professional tournament in 1976 up until those 1996 Atlanta games, the first that beach volleyball was in the Olympics. I I had an absolute blast working on this book with Kent, and Kent had a blast writing on it. He's been writing a ton on Facebook. He is back in the beach volleyball game, and the best, I mean, it's honestly... It's the work that I'm probably more proud of than anything that I've done because it it had interviews from all the greats. It had St. John Smith, it had Skarch Karaj, it's got Randy, Dodd, Hovlin, and then Kent's there the whole time, his voice going in and out and writing it with me. And if you're a fan of old school beach volleyball, if you're a fan of beach volleyball at all, if you're a fan of volleyball or the Olympics or just stories of greatness, that is the one for you. So go ahead, go to Amazon and pick up a copy of Kings of Summer today.
0: Really? You know, I, I think so. Interesting. I don't, like... That's actually a good conversation is... Because you're um, one of the only people who kind of has seen, um, what, three, so, three, four generations yeah, like, I, and comparing the athlete. Because you always hear legends. So right. you're like, oh, that guy must have been better than anybody we're seeing here right? today. You know you what know, you got to do? I want to you know make a, a top 75 all-time list. Like, you know how NBA did That'll that? That would be insane. Where you look at the list, you're like, how is... Like, You're Clay like, how is Thompson, a guy from the 50s on the right in the top? And right? this guy, I don't know his name and he's right. ahead of Kevin Durant. And he's in Converse
1: All-Star sneakers, yeah. right? Um, I think with volleyball, I'll tell you what's a funny thing. YouTube has a lot. Okay, I, I'm going to go two different directions real quick here. Okay. YouTube has a lot of interesting stuff on it. Older older tournaments. And so you can watch a lot of that. There was an indoor series in the early 90s where Hovland, Mike Dodd, AJ, all those guys played. You can watch that on YouTube. And when I watch it, and, and those guys were freaking amazing. Maybe right. it was the old camera or right. something. I go, I go, wow, there's probably... They wouldn't even get hardly a point on a current college team. Like, the way the physicality of the indoor game has changed... Oh, you watch the indoor. Oh, yeah, this is you. an indoor... Indoor... Six-on-six, six, yes, hardcore, like Hovland, who at one point... People say Auburn was, was the best indoor player in the world at one point. Really? Yeah. And then he didn't play the national team early. So the, the other direction I was going to go oh, right can, now yeah. was a lot of the, the time when I think about the days even before I was watching, I got some old school buddies in Hermosa, Manhattan who love to go to all the tournaments. One guy, Steve Glass, who was like a double A player in the 70s. Yeah. But he's probably he's, a, he's probably like in his 70s now, but he's a, still really fit. Right. He and I talk volley like at every tournament. I, I like to talk to the old guys and learn. And, but, but a lot of the old guys don't have the new school perspective. Well, they all, but they no. This guy gives it straight though. This okay, particular one, he'll you. be like, "Yes, the guys today are way better than they were in my day." You know,
0: dude. Even when I played in
1: college, I go yeah. back
0: and watch now. I'm like, dude, this the tempo. The, it's slower, right? Oh, back then, when, yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah. and and ours was like I ran extremely fast <laughs> for those big, days for that the, for, for that the, time. Now it's like the guy hitting. <laughs> they'll like set a pipe on the first contact yeah. and then the guy will come in and then set out of that and like it's it's changed so much even it's, since it's I've been it's changing fast that. and yeah.
1: and the speed and the size and the power and um and it's impressive and you know I, women's game to me as well has become so so great lately the skill and the power and the strength are are as as much as they've ever been and getting in faster and faster right i a lot of male fans sometimes say they don't enjoy watching the women's game, but I think in the last ten years the women's game has become incredible. Huh. Even maybe even longer ago than that. I mean, Misty and Kerry obviously were amazing. Right. But I like I watch I'm obsessed with with Klaus and Cloth and Nuss. Oh yeah. I don't know what it is about Kristen Nuss, the defender who's everybody five says foot that. everyone loves five watching foot seven? her. Seven? Yeah, that I would right? guess like five seven. She she's is so magic, magic on the court. She's ma- like it's she's a magician. Yeah. Like, so I like her because she digs a thousand balls. She hits the best shots. She works what she has to its maximum potential. Exactly, right. Right, and, and if you're going to pull on her, she'll still hit down the middle and score. Uh, and I think they, it was very interesting to see them dip their toes internationally. They win a future. They win a yeah. challenge. Elite 16, they got a number of fifths. They've been close. Yeah. But I think as they develop... They could eventually be a, the top US team oh, potentially, sure, yeah. but yeah. that's so to me like and and like that goes back to kind of like Laura Ludwig was the first time I remember in 2014. Okay, you remember World Championships? You were were you with Haydn in 2015? Did you guys go yes. to World Championships? Yeah. Yes. Do you remember the year before? She when they won the, that. Do you remember they had the year before the test event it was also in the Netherlands? They did like a test version of that in 2014. Yeah. Where did we play? It was appledorn, Utrecht. Uh, Den Haag I don't think I played in a one before that the one so 2014 was the one Rosie got to the finals and lost that was on the beach though yes yes but they also had pool play yeah and I was sitting next to a Polish fan in the front row and he was giving it to me the whole match. <laughs> they have crazy volume. Oh dude, fans. this guy was like, we're gonna freaking smoke your guys. And I was like, dude, I got Rosie and Phil all day. Yeah. Are you kidding? <laughs> yeah. And somehow we lost to Mario and Fifi, who are great yeah. players. Yeah. Uh Marius Prudello, I think yeah. people call Mario. Uh, I don't and, know. Yeah. F- and Felix, people call we Fifi. Did, we call him right? Ponytail. Ponytail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He he that was his career year though. Oh yeah. They went like off. they were number one at yeah, one point, right? They had like two, they had like two Phil. seconds in a first. Yeah. And, and Rosie and Phil had first, first, second, yeah. first. But like it, it was that was the tournament I saw Laura Ludwig play really close up for the first time, mm. and that's what kind of made me say women's volleyball is freaking amazing. She actually, was dope. dude, she yeah. would bounce balls into the stands during matches, and she's
0: and, and it was kind of like and fired um, up, like ah, like how Spansel dives yes! now, where you're like, whoa, that's not a girl, di-. like yeah, I mean, like, it is now. It but, is, but that but the like literally was doing the that. The speed yeah, have exactly.
1: developed. The athleticism of the women's game is amazing to me right now. Yeah, and and there are. Like, it's you know what it reminds me of? Remember back in, like, the 80s NBA, if you ever were old enough to watch 80s yeah, NBA? Yeah. there were tall guys, but they were, like, what we call gorns. You yeah, know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. They're just big ogres who could barely move. Yeah. Because they are in the NBA because they are seven-footers. Like, right. like I don't know. I, I'm not going to use any names because I don't want to, like, rub anyone. But, like, kind of like, like an Oster tag type of guy in right, Utah, right? right? Yeah. Just a big guy who takes no space. He can do his job. He's coordinated. Yeah. But they're not jumping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was at one time kind of the tall women's player mold, right. but now they're quick. The tall girls they run, they jump, pass. they pass nails, yeah. they yeah. set gold with their hands uh-huh. like this okay, the setting has become better, a lot better right. I see this debate sometimes people debate who's the best setter I mean phil, how do you how I do always, you how, how can always, it not be Phil? Well, I always think like
0: how do you even vote for that. Like you really need someone paying attention <laughs> to it and like doing analytics over different. Because if someone has nice hands, right? right? Which does who cares if you have nice hands? Like it right, right, just right. looks soft right. and nice. Right, right. Is it in the right spot? Is it in a spot that you think is good or the guy that hitting it thinks that's it's a good, good call? Because you change partners. It's all like, about
1: how, you know, it's, it's not
0: like Rogers ever ran anything other than an they up and down. One set. So, yeah. So you never saw Phil having uh, to set a tempo. That's like a good call. For dude. Like a in, right? Where that's it's a like, call. he's running over there, running over he's here. He's taking a lot tempo, of tempo transition. Balls
1: shoveling it over here. That's a really good call. I didn't think about that. Um, that's interesting. It's just,
0: uh, when, when we're voting yeah. for it, I'm like, I mean... You almost yeah, can't... Yeah, he sets it up and down and in the same spot every time.
1: Well, So you remember when he first played Rosie and, and they had Rosie starting um, on the left and Phil on the right? Yeah. And Rosie, previous to that with Jake, he would take like sort of a... Like, yeah. a, like a high ball, but kind of near, like closer Jake's to the pin. Jake's actually an
0: underrated setter. Jake's great setter. Are, like, they it does not look, look that perfect. But Even Rosie's puts, are weird.
1: Right. Rosie has that weird, like, three almost finger. three-finger flesh. Yeah. yeah, I know. i was like, like, but it comes the, out
0: perfect. And his bump setting, his transition. His
1: location is flawless. And, and Jake's location is
0: flawless. Some, some of these Euros are
1: ridiculous, too. Oh, so yeah. I don't
0: know how you can vote on best yeah, setter. Yeah,
1: I think. But, like, with Phil. So, like, Phil was setting that up and down Raji set to Rosie from the wrong side at first, uh-huh. right? So they would they put Phil on the right the yeah. first season. And they had some success. They, like, win the first tournament they're together. And Rosie looks at me and goes, we're good. And I'm like, uh-oh, here we go. <laughs> and Rosie, you know, they get a ninth, a 17th, a win, a fifth, a ninth. And, and then they switch. Yeah. And put Phil, it's all pre-injury, right? Yeah. They put Phil back on the left and Rosie on the right because Rosie's Rosie. It doesn't matter where he is. <laughs> right. Right? So And then Phil gets back to being comfortable and doing what he knows and, how to do. And, I mean, they were going to serve Rosie for the most part anyway. Yeah. But, that, that was what But thought, now Phil's right? an
0: option on two. That, that's right. Now Phil's able to dominate. Isn't that a funny
1: question, by the way? I, I've thought about this for years. Why doesn't Phil option more? In general, I've always have we. Isn't that I've something that never, every fans probably I've never wondered? wanted
0: to? Um, <laughs> can you imagine if I was in Phil's body?
1: Like how much I you would
0: love the if option. If there's a green
1: light, I oh just my go God, right. You would
0: go. Well, it just makes
1: sense to me. Yeah, the blockers not set up. The defense isn't set up like. And if you're the best, and you're player, also you're six nine and long and quick and jump high and the way Phil hits the ball, he can see and do things like the this, angles, bro, are ridiculous. It's so
0: frustrating playing Phil because <laughs> it is. I don't even know if it's vision. It is vision, but, but he it, jumps a little, he, like he would jump a little higher than me, I think. Yeah. And he's already bigger. Yeah. So I'd, and I'd have to wait. I'd be like, okay, I got to like yeah. show something. Like, yeah. And I'd jump and like maybe dive a little bit. Yeah. Fade one way. And he'd get up and like see me. And then just in <laughs> midair, just turn the other direction. Yeah. And while I'm already over yeah, here. I'm yeah. like, oh, well now You're it's like, too oh. late. I'm already <laughs> like, in the I'm air. already done. And just... Bounce it Pa-pa. like there's no block. Like up. There's, yeah. I'm just like, how do I? Like I could jump later.
1: Like, but then he can hit straight. Like OT. Phil reminds me of an athlete who could have played many sports. Like oh, a guy sure. who's so. I mean, a lot of you were like this. He, he didn't have that but like
0: killer, like gnarly athlete instinct you know right where he just like yeah he
1: seemed like a little laid back through the process for sure but he's always like calmly winning right like and he was also a guy who on the road like is generally pretty shy like kind of to himself yeah like not a guy who's going to be in the stands like yeah. having a beer with we things. had him on we had him on yeah. a few episodes oh, ago yeah dude i you know one. what he's i watched a lot of it it was good yeah yeah I he did and by the way he explained everything really well like yeah. the stuff that i i wanted to hear for sure so i was really happy about that
0: so what um, about uh Back to. But back to AVP. Well, like comparing
1: generations. Yeah, so, like, here's the thing. In the 90s. Where are we at now? I, I In think terms of volume. Well, I think we're at the highest it's ever been and okay. i think it always progresses that way as long as you're not in one of the lulls caused by a bad like bankruptcy of the tour where a lot of players drop out
0: <laughs> which has been
1: which has been kind of several times
0: right at the first bankruptcy yeah, and, and then, then right, right when we kind of got momentum the second like resale happens but i was it, hoping that like you know we get the donald era, and then i'd climb my way to the top kind of where we're at now and then we'd the tour would be big, and I could capitalize on it. You know?
1: so, so, think about the difference between let's start with big court versus small court, right? Yeah. And some of the intrinsic differences. Big court, you did not have to set as precise of a ball, right? Not even close. You Guys are hitting each other five feet off. You could hit anywhere. I mean, think about <laughs> if you tried to set your partner five feet off consistently right now. Yeah. How would he side out? Against by the, by the way, Washington. I just want to say this before I forget. Trevor is one of the most phenomenal players. Every time I think about him, I go, he's not the fastest guy. He's not the tallest guy. He's not the strongest guy. He's not, but he plays, but he wins. So I just want to say there's a point in players. And I just want to go on this tangent because you're here and that's your guy. Yeah. And I just think Trevor is a, is a badass. He's a fucking <laughs> badass. You yeah, know, he- Very underestimated. Dude, he wins. So when you, at the end of the day, like if you're a young volleyball player and you're like, oh, I jumped so high and all this, focus on learning- how to be really mentally tough mm. like focus on like that's what i think trevor is it doesn't matter the score it doesn't matter how many fans are screaming at him it doesn't matter who they're playing you guys are playing the guy just sides out like a right. machine right yeah and digs the ball at the moment you need it or gets that key little block like when he pre- like he has a um, right?
0: relentless uh confidence
1: yeah like you can't break his yeah. confidence that's right but isn't that what all the best athletes in all the sports have? Mm-hmm. And and that's kind of what I think. If you look at different players, like if you're trying to develop, if you're USA volleyball, that ha- should have to have a factor in the status of a player, like where you think a player's developing is. If they can have the mental side of the things, and that's why you guys work with sports psychs and yeah. and that stuff. And I think that's a critical part of the game. It's not talked about a lot. It's
0: got. I mean, it's just got to be more elite than ever with the amount of. Work we're doing in every day, like the mental preparation, yes. physical preparation that's going into just one practice. Yeah. Like I've been training by myself right. lately and I got, you know, I'm still with the sports psych. Not, yep. I don't have a team. Yeah. I'm sti- still doing these routines before practice. So like uh, very consciously, every little piece of practice is very conscious and intentional Someone like starts playing music and dancing. It's like, no, bro, hey, what what are you doing? Like, this is practice. <laughs> yeah. There's something that needs to be done right yeah. now. Whereas back in the day,
1: is like, yeah, you it kind of show more up. Casual, whatever, whatever practice you get out you of it. Guys you guys work hard. You Guys and girls work really hard at the pro level right now. Internationally, it's the skill level is insane. Yeah, like you go to tournaments. There's qualifier teams that are just. Pass and set perfectly. They're physical. Yeah, they you know I, the difference sometimes is just a little bit of experience. Right. When you guys beat a team like from from uh, that they, they, maybe they're younger. I mean the Swedish kids. We obviously can't not talk about that, right? Because they're redefining what the game looks like. They went from early this season, occasionally losing in the qualifier, to now winning major tournaments. Yeah, those guys are. They good. beat Norway twice this year. Yeah, they're good. I mean,
0: the I mean that's right? the one team where it was like. They're really benefiting from this new system. Yes, but then you know they get a few wins where the lighter. You're saying the lighter hand setting rules. No, I mean just the three out of four. Four. Oh, the three
1: out of four. Yeah, because at one point
0: they were ranked top ten in the world without playing in an elite. Yeah, and you're like, this isn't how it should work. It's not how it should work. No, at this point, and we've known it for a while now. It's like these guys were gonna, no matter what the system is, they were gonna. Work their way up to the top. So
1: like like what I want Either to tell way. fans about watching today's game is if you haven't played a lot, you won't maybe you don't see the nuance in how the Swedish kids really play. They don't pass the ball, they pass the ball to a very specific location yeah. with a specific height. Yeah. And I and so I, I I was thinking to myself in my head as we were watching in the Maldives, right? And and they were playing my guys, and then you know they get they get a bronze medal. I'm watching them do this. No matter if you serve them deep or short, no matter if you serve them middle or, or line, you know seam or line, jump serve or float, they just have dialed their system. And now sometimes it doesn't go their way. There's like, a lot
0: more intention right? on each touch.
1: That's that's it, mm-hmm. and that's I think, and that's the point about the difference in today's game from huh. 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, is touches have become intentional. Outside of the attack, because the attack right. was always intentional. Yeah, but now the the pass set, somewhere the, over there. Yeah, set it. Guys are running like here's a one, here. here's a two, here's a three. Whatever the zones are, they're mm. different names. Some people ABCD, yeah. whatever it is. There's zones. There's heights. Remember, like that used to be indoors. Mm. There was a time when I was in high school. I remember coaches, you know, international or college, they would divide up the net into five, like zones with different heights so what we, most people call a one was really like a 31 or a 41 yeah, or something yeah, yeah. 31, they'd like where they a shoot or a a, a gun or something yeah, whatever yeah, we yeah. call back then yep. was like a was like an 11 yep. uh, a four was really a 14 yep. and a five was the five position but with the heights was more like a 54 or something mm-hmm. right so the interesting like there was a system like that for indoors at one time now it's Beach is starting to adopt that idea. We need to divide the net up with heights and zones so that we can attack the other team's defense. Yeah. Why? Because blockers got so freaking huge. Yeah. And so, like, you got Oleg in front of you. So... you're like, okay. Oh,
0: 100%. I better do something here. Totally. And now it's it's changing the way that these blockers have to play. And, right. These blockers are... Also extremely athletic. They're yeah. not these ogres you're talking about. No, so they're, they're quick. The now. ogre ones are going to get burned sport, by this, right? It's like, no offense, but hey. like Doherty used to get just yeah. like Poland yeah. or whoever would just like run around him. And, and, and Ryan
1: was a good athlete overall. You yeah, know? but, he but he wasn't they could, fast. but they could use that part of him, right? If he they was could slow use, laterally, right? Right. Yeah. They could like that's isn't that interesting? Teams are so good now at scouting and figuring out other teams' weaknesses. They literally could figure out this is we know his weakness is lateral movement. Yeah. And we're going to attack that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very technical compared to, like, no one did that in the 90s. Right. Even in the maybe the early to mid-2000s, I don't think people were really doing that. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's really cool to see the advancement in the thought behind And a lot of that is right?
0: coming internationally. Yeah. Like, they're the ones yeah. doing this uh, forward thinking and, yeah. like, creating these things. And my thought is, like, I just haven't really wrapped my brain around the jump setting because – when it first came out, p- teams weren't executing it well. Like, yeah. even I did it a few times yeah, where yeah. I'm, like, proud to say. I was like, oh, it was one of the, obviously, people probably been doing it since Early the 80s. Early jump setting, right? But, like, yeah, I did it. No, just nobody Duke, jump
1: set in the 80s. I don't, think I don't know. I,
0: I remember doing it a few times with Hayden yeah, I mean, just because yeah. I could. And it yeah. was just fun for me. And But I had to do it in the perfect situation, and I had to. Make sure if had no one up, so here's or my, else, or else he'd be mad. Here's my
1: question for you as a defensive blocker. In right. that situation, if a guy jump sets, can you tell if he's going to option or set early enough? Or do you think it does work? Because isn't that the point of the jump set? No, it, it freaking
0: works. Okay, because like, the, no, the you, Swedish there's, kids. There's, the there's deep, max right? jumping. Yeah. To where you're. If you can pull you have back to and jump change with it them,
1: it and, and then you have yeah, to play this yes. late indoor style yes, blocking, yes. which
0: actually. It, it's really hard, but I actually... Well, you're good at if it because anyone's gonna you were to be good, middle, I feel right? like I could be better at yeah. it than others. Yeah, because I used to yeah, play middle blocker. Yeah, blocking. so you
1: could actually hang with that. But you're but still late I'm saying blocking. This, doesn't it seem like sometimes the jump setters commit to the set too early and don't fake the hit so that the blocker is just out with the hitter anyway? Or do you think it's that's not an issue? Wait, so do
0: like, like, so they commit I, I to the set I think sometimes they soon.
1: jump set and they never look like they're going right. to swing. Well, it depends on the Sometimes. angle. So okay. I think,
0: I think um, obviously Sweden has it down. Partain's yeah. got it down a lot Dude, because... He's, he's amazing. Because he's an indoor setter. So he's right. used to coming in to jump set a ball. Yes. So, and he's a lefty. Yeah, So he's coming in to jump set, and he just gets to decide right there. So when we played like indoors, like that Dude. was pretty flawless, the, yeah. the way he was playing it. And we, we would have needed to strategize a little better. I think better. you're
1: right. That's, that's the part. So it's interesting because I think that's... he Partain is...
0: Wow, is he good? He's doing good.
1: My thought is,
0: though, should teams, players, be out there trying to work on that? Like, are we there yet?
1: I I don't. I think if it's got
0: to be certain I individuals.
1: I think it takes a while to develop if it's not something that's, that you're doing naturally. Like Partain does it naturally, like yeah. you said, because he came from the indoors. And well, and, like I, I feel like I can do it. You naturally. know what? What Razzie or Razzle Razzie, the Who? Swedish coach. you know oh, what, yeah, yeah. He what he said was that it took them four years to perfect their passing system.
0: Yeah, because when when we first saw them, it was like they're screwing themselves up too much.
1: It took a while. It's
0: interesting that you say that it's a passing system, not a setting system. Mm.
1: Because it's about, like I was thinking about it, it just took me listening to him say that and then really watching their games carefully to see that they pass high to near the net. A but, little farther but, over than you would expect. Right. Yeah, yeah. So the right side hitter, so it's if it's too far back. inside, he can't hit that. Right. Right. So the left side has to pass further over, and sort of both ways works out. Way. I mean, it's not as hard if you're passing the right to the left side guy, but you can see it when they do it, and it it works. It's they spread it. There's a like obviously the Aussies. You know who was the first team to do that? Though, when I watched oh, the Aussies
0: dude. do it, I was like, that's. They're hurting themselves more than than it's working, <laughs> so that's not Right, good. it might not be, but... And they were trying to launch it out to the pin. Yes, like, from the other pin. Yeah, the And the, the other girls pin. do it, right?
1: The yeah. Taliqua and, what, and Maria Fey do it. They do it, but, but how you many know, are successful? You know what's Only funny? Them. You know the first team to do that pin spread offense? Damien Schlacht and Josh Schacht. I don't know if I'm getting the last names right. Schlacht and Schacht? Yeah, literally. <laughs> Damien, Josh, I think were their first names, on the world tour for Australia in about 2005 or six. Why has Australia always wanted to run they this? Must have de- a coach there must have decided it was a good idea in the and, mid-2000s. And everyone has to do it. And for some reason, they've always pushed it. So what's it, McHugh right now you with really, Paul Burnett? You just, right? Yeah, you really yeah. just have to look at it. Because like, what's a good set-out percentage? 70%? Well, so are you subtracting errors or are you keeping it? Uh, yeah, I mean, just... If you, if you, for one match. Yeah. What's like the average, like if you're above this. For us, I know for a season, like 400 is pretty average, right? Right. Or what we call 400, which is 40%. Right. right? I know 50% was the leading co-percentage on the AVP this year. Well the the whole season. 50% was the highest. So let's just say 50%. So say 50 or better. You're doing really well in a a tournament, let's say. So
0: like if the Swedes were to run it up and down. Uh Uh-huh. Like, they're obviously really good volleyball they players. They are good volleyball players, yeah. Would they be siding out the same percentage and not mm. wasting jumps? I think so. Are, like, are they only doing... Because they're Are physical. they only able to... Have you seen players that left-sided jump, dude? He's crazy. Hayden wouldn't be playing if he no. jumped, set every ball.
1: Because <laughs> imagine how many extra jumps that is. It's so <laughs> many, <exactly>. many jumps. Exactly. so many jumps. <laughs> but then I was also thinking... Is it because they're 19 or 20 or whatever? 100%. Okay, yeah. Okay.
0: But if it works, everyone would do it. Yeah. And is it... Actually significantly more jumps because if you jump set and get the kill, then your partner does it partner jump? doesn't jump so that's
1: so a jump yeah so it's an equal every Either time that one your partner you- hits it. You're, it's an extra jump, but if you're optioning, it's the same number of jumps. Right. So maybe on average you're adding fifty percent more jumps. Maybe not. Maybe not even that many. No, not even that many. Maybe, maybe that, a third right. more jumps or something. Right. Third maybe. At that age, they're not gonna care, but as they go along And then long tournaments in the heat. Right. Well if there's a lot of wind, deep yeah. sand, like there's interesting things you don't see as much on international that you yeah. see more A V P right but, that could factor in. But that. it's
0: like at the point now where you're seeing, okay, this is this is a system that can work is it worth starting to implement it or like trying well, it? Because how long is it, it going to take to learn it? Yeah, well, but like, are I you going to get left
1: behind if you don't too? Ooh, that's right? a good question. I guess it depends on each team. Like if yeah, you're already having success, don't change, right? And
0: there's some people just straight up can't yeah, jump well, set. Well, like right. option, like but a I, lot of them actually. I
1: think like each team, like if you're more veteran and you have your system, like you and you and Trev, you, you wouldn't change and do that because no, what's <laughs> the Trevor's point? not going to start no, jump setting. Okay, no, okay, I used to jump set a little bit with him. Yeah. And he wasn't ready. Don't you think it changes the timing of the hitter too? If you're used to that, like off the yeah, ground. Yeah, for set. sure.
0: But if you got no one up, like oh, who well, cares about good your life. timing? Yeah, life is good, right? Yeah. Like Hayden was cool with me jump setting Really? If I get him no one up, because he has just such good feet. to yeah, ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trevor would pass it. You see me jump, and he just he just stands <laughs> straight up, and then I jump set it back, and no way. said, "No,
1: dude, don't do that." <laughs> <laughs> it's like, if
0: there's no one up, you gotta hit it, dude. Like, but I mean, what Trevor's like me?
1: more of a guy who works off the defense to get his side outs than he is like a guy who's gonna be stoked on no one up, right? I mean, he still can crush balls, obviously. every yeah. All you guys can, but it's interesting. I I don't think if you're so like so then there's there's a so there's teams running other weird things too. Like right? they run to the middle as a setter and they do little back quicks and front quicks yeah. and other stuff. There's Adrian and all the weird stuff he does. And that's how about that new team switch up? What's the So structure? now Adrian's playing with, you know Adrian's playing with Alex Rangieri. No. no way. You didn't hear this yet? Rangieri, My boy Rangieri, just texted me a couple days ago. Yeah. So I Rangari and I hang out sometimes and he like he, oh, he gave me the kind gelato spot when I was in oh, Rome love and that all guy. that. Yeah. And we we Phenomenal. do pizza and whatnot. He's
0: like the stereotypical Italian stallion, oh. like uh
1: Dude, that guy I don't know, you know,
0: giving you espresso, oh. he'll go party and be the, just Oh, Pulling then, all the trim. That was the best. <laughs>
1: that was the best thing he said to me. We were in Dubai at the end of his tournament. He's playing at that young guy. You know, we call the guy Mowgli because he yeah, looks like the jungle yeah, yeah. guy. And they did okay. They got a couple fifths, whatever. And he's, I'm sitting in the stands at the last match, like gold medal match at night, whatever. It's dark, but there's a good number of people there. And he looks at me, and goes, "Hey, you got any pants with you?" I'm like. Because I'm wearing shorts at the, yeah. the match. I'm like, what are you talking about, Pants? He's like, we're going out after this. And I'm like, I'm going to bed, bro. <laughs> I'm old and married, but have fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, but it's cool. He's so rad. Yeah. And and so I see something. One of
0: the it. gnarlier athletes I've oh, seen. Oh, dude, the jump when, on him? When he's oh my, when he's healthy? Healthy. He was so gnarly with Adrian the first round, first <sighs> yeah. time through. Yeah. He blocked oh a lot my of balls. God. And he was like six, That's kind of what
1: made that team work, because Adrian's gonna scoot around and dig, but not have a huge like transition percentage. But Alex has
0: hands too. He has good hands. And so he can set Adrian. So but
1: you know, from what I gather, Lupo snagged Rossi. Okay. From Adrian. Huh. From what I gather.
0: Because I also know playing with Adrian, you don't get the support of the Federation. Which right
1: which which hurts it. cuz in italy then. so this goes back it's to what so, we were talking so about BS earlier the way about, they treat him by yeah way. oh it is cuz if, if you're in the international game you know you're not going to make a huge amount of prize money so the federations that have a huge advantage are the ones that salary up their players right russia well not right now but poland italy sometimes brazil um but on the other side of the coin, Germany is apparently really tough with the federation. The duchies have a really good federation, right? Yeah. So, like, think about if your federation paid you a salary to play. I mean, you guys do get a nice stipend, yeah, living stipend. It's not a yeah. full salary, but no, it's something. US, we're we're lucky. In I the think the US does hook we're in it good up. No, USA Volleyball does as much as they can, and and really is working hard to improve. A that. lot better than a lot of other. Places. They're working hard to improve that. Yeah. And and so. Um, so anyway, like, but looking at like Italy, like. Like you said, Adrian's not getting support from the federation it means his partner's not. So if Rossi, if Lupo calls you up and Lupo's exactly. like the god over there, right? Right. And Lupo's the, also the man, right? And <laughs> yeah. I, there's no one cooler than Lupo. Like you go out to eat with If you go out to eat with Lupo, it's one of the best. It's like a. Really, it's the most amazing experience. He orders so much food, and if I try not to eat some of it. Eddie, what do you not eat it (laughs) for? It's so good. you got to eat another piece, please. So we're eating all this food. We're down in Brazil. And I go, like, he's like, you know, his coach is Fosco. And his other guy, Carlos Cartaya, that travels him, an old Florida guy. I've known Carlos forever. So Carlos and I are walking behind him. And and I'm like, where are we going, dude? We're going to the supermarket. We just ate dinner. What are we doing in the supermarket? Well, Lupo wants a pint of ice cream or something. So we go and he buys the big old gallon of ice cream and gets a bunch of plastic spoons and won't. Like, he's like, you have to eat it, Ed. I'm like, I don't want any ice cream. No, I'm sorry. Here's a spoon. You must eat ice cream. I'm like, okay, I guess I'm eating ice cream. So Lupo apparently gets, gets Rossi. Gotcha. Okay. Because there was no uh, one else for him to play with. What was he gonna do? Like go drag out like Matteo Martino or something, like an old indoor guy? Or there wasn't. He didn't play. Remember after him and Ringary split, he hasn't played a single tournament. Was there bad blood between he and Nikolai, or it was just like God? We played together for so. I, long? I don't know. Not at all. I believe what, seem like I believe what happened much. was Nikolai just said, "You know what? We had a silver medal, and you know, in 2016, we've had a good run. But you know, funny fact. I'd say one of the best teams in the world over the stretch they played together, 11 sure. years, right? How you know how many tournaments they won? I would th- my initial thought would be like 10 but the true answer is 3 that's right? weird so and that's the perspective Right, that, that like I think Nikolai is thinking we were in the top 10 for 11 years, but we only won three tournaments, right? Major tournaments. I don't even think they played in less They were ones. probably in the top six, they were always in the top six. Time. They were gnarly. So, but he gets Kodafaba and they won like their second tournament together. Uh, well, that's always honeymoon phase. Yeah, that's true. But, yeah. Latvia, which was a full field, right? Yeah. And they went in and smashed people. Of course, Nora was out for injury, but yeah, still. So you're right, honeymoon phase, but they're good. I mean, yeah. Kodofaba is another guy who runs a shorter set, right? Yeah. And with that, he got whip up better him, this
0: year too. Yeah, he
1: agreed. Yeah, agreed. Like he's but playing with Nikolai. I always yeah, just call it Nikolai exactly. the Italian Phil, uh, like kind of a poor man's Phil. Yeah. yeah. He handsets really well. He's got a big jump serve. You basically can't serve him. Yeah. Right. It's kind of the same things you would say about Phil. And
0: just bounce balls. He'll just freaking dead balls, if he jumps right? Or yeah, yeah.
1: He just he sees it. He goes high. Yeah. He just. Yeah, it's like, so in terms of ABP, just getting back to that for a second, um, I I liked the tour series this year in a way because it's like a paid qualifier tour, right? It, it, does it feel that way or yeah. does it feel different? We've talked that?
0: about it a lot on the podcast.
1: Does it feel like that? Because, okay, so do you, did you ever hear about the qualifier tour in the 90s? No, but, there was a but qualifier I think there tour. should be a
0: qualifier there, tour. There was it's a paid just...
1: qualifier tour in the 90s. Guys like Jason Persley, John Anselmo, uh, fun Kevin Wong, uh, Greg Schenkel, all those guys came out of that paid qualifier tour and got to be main draw players. Because huh. in those days, you were a main draw player meant you traveled the whole tour. You could be exempt. Right. They don't have that anymore. Back in the 90s, you could be exempt. That means you would never play a qualifier. If you were exempt, because most events did not have on-site qualifiers. Only Manhattan Open and a couple of other big ones gotcha. did. The qualifier tour served as a way to become exempt, but only for the four best players maybe from each year. Yeah. So the tour was locked. It was not, it was invitational. It was not open. Hmm. And the Manhattan was an open because it had a real qualifier. Right. See the difference? So this, what I felt like the tour series did, because now your tour also does not have an on-site qualifier except in Manhattan. Well, I like it. I like it. Hmm. I like it too.
0: No, and I, I also, think it's all
1: good. I just hate yeah. I just
0: how we've talked about it too the much smaller- on the podcast. Well, like, it should be a yeah. qualifying tour.
1: Yeah. Yes. It's not Yes, <laughs> right? You're right. You're right. It turned into <laughs> They're something. They're not calling it that. No, it turned into something where, too, where guys like Taylor and Taylor can go down and... Yeah, and Taylor and Taylor just won the Tour, which is, the tour uh, Series. Which is right? one of the top three or four teams in the Mains Tour yeah. can go win a Tour Series,
0: which and then is a little unfair to Instagram. those guys. These guys have won oh, three of the last three events in know. Our I'm like, just like...
1: Mm. Yeah, it's, well, mm. it's the same old discussion of, like, BVB Info's website and how do we... What do we... Consider a win. Did winning like uh, an Open back when they were Grand Slams Open at yeah. FIB, did that count? Or did yeah. winning a minor league like AVP, does that count? And it's a weird discussion. I mean, win's a win, but full field is important, I think, to really consider. The Tour Series should have been you know done that way i think but cuz eight grand like, a look, lot, though, like, for uh, first place at a local tournament
0: like some I mean, players call uh, the the San Francisco open uh, Yeah. it's still the yeah. the joke
1: well that was always the one where they <laughs> it, it conflicted with stad right yeah. that july 4th weekend so guys who like like when rosie and my guy chase lost in the finals to ed Rallage and, and rafu yeah, yeah yeah right and and that was chase's first taste of like getting deep in a tournament but it was they were, right. like the top 4 teams weren't there so and the Maddie and uh, Loomis yes. were the next year, dude, that right? was so cool. Or the year before. Oh yeah, the year yeah, before. It was the year sorry. before okay. But Maddie, Maddie's gnarly athlete, too. He was gnarly. He was. He jumped like he was like armpits he, over. Like yeah, kind like, of freakish. Yeah, yeah. Like, it was scary how high he could and jump. And like not even six I don't know. Like, he, maybe, he, maybe maybe six five. He's yeah. So there's 6'4". like you know Ty Loomis. This is interesting. I love one of the people I love more than almost anyone in the world there's like, so like when I was first hand with Rosie and not to like go back on that rabbit hole in the late nineties. So Rosie was living in 99, 2000. He started living in a place in Hermosa with Jeff Carlucci, his first partner's um, sister lived in this house. I think you've mentioned like uh,
0: every person (laughs) in the volleyball community. Dude, there
1: was a, there was this cool, like there was this over in second street in Hermosa, there's an apartment complex with a, with a huge hot tub. Yeah. And it's, but the whole place is like locked up and there's a fence. So we'd all jump the fence. It was like, I remember it was like Ty Loomis, Andrew Vasquez, Evie Matthews, I think Rosie, Carlucci, maybe Mark Williams. We had a crew like that yeah. was just partying, breaking into hot tubs. Like <laughs> it was, it was like, and like the volleyball was part of the lifestyle for like an hour or two in the morning, maybe, right. maybe a little foreman in the afternoon and then we would just yeah. go and like. Evie was fucking rad, by the way. Evie Matthews yeah. was uh, was so strong, yeah. Back then, oh yeah. You know who else was really good? Davenport. Uh, Davenport played with Nygaard for a while. Uh, dude, he was. Davenport had some had some semifinals on the AVP. He's smart, dude. He's a great player. Yeah, that's another. There's like it's so interesting. The coaches of today were all like pretty strong players in their day, like those guys. Yeah, you know, and and they bring uh, just such an experience and wealth and knowledge. But that early. Man, there was this like that was when the A was like the Leonard Armado tour was just getting started. And there was like an excitement. And I I think like the players at that time though were not married, these guys, all these guys I'm talking about, they were young single guys. Yep. So like there was no like and they could work as a bartender and afford a five hundred dollar studio in Hermosa. You
0: know what and I mean? If you did top ten, you yeah. don't even need a job.
1: That's right. That's right. Back. Yeah, now and now so, it's like you got
0: on the A V P you can't Make a living on the AVP. I don't think it's
1: even possible. If you do the math. If you only play AVP. Yeah. If you won every tournament. I, I wonder how much I made this year. Well, I, so, I'm, but are you playing a tour the highest, series or a regular series? No, like just. Like pro gold only or tour add-in tour? Let's say I didn't play a world tour Okay, just all. played AVP. Yeah. And played all 16 events? Mm, you can't really play all, but yeah, What's sure. Let's pretend. This sure, it's it's hypothetical. 10, hypothetical. Yeah. So what was a gold win this year? 30? 30, yeah. Yeah, so there were three of those. Right, and then there are five that you split eleven, right? So you're forty five thousand, right, for the gold, yeah. and then you're five for sixty five hundred. You make another thirty, yeah, thirty and change. So now you're at seventy five thousand, and then you get four grand each for the other eight. So you add another forty grand in. So you're making one hundred fifteen thousand if you won every event the whole year, and that's it. And and that's like kind of scary because. It's funny. I was doing. I was looking at if some stuff. If you're that good, you'd be on the world tour. You ready for this? Jose Loa had a year where he made three hundred fifty thousand in prize money just on the ABP. One year, and he didn't win every tournament. He won a lot of them, but right. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so like there, and and that was in the nineties when money's probably worth twice as much as now. But, yeah, exactly. But still, so he so, made. Half a I'm not. Look, I'm not trying to say anything bad about AVP. They're working hard and they're trying to get this back. Yeah. And I think Bally's. I hope they have a master plan because they look. Someone told me someone from Hawaii actually. Who was it? Someone came in from Hawaii and was like, "Hey, oh, it was um, Tara's dad, Chris. He's huh. like, I've been seeing like AVP on TV like several times a week, right? On Bally Sports Network.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So
1: that's actually to me that's a good thing that like they're utilizing the content that they bought. They bought the tour to get content for their TV networks and maybe do more stuff. We won't know until they release a new schedule. As soon as this next year's schedule come out, we'll have an idea of if they really are serious Yeah, or not, exactly. Because right? uh, this was a
0: kind of a test year. The they guys, talked
1: about the whole gambling thing and, we've and investing in um, bringing in analytics right, some people right. to, to do statistics. I mean, so here's my thing, right? AVP, the people who are running it on the ground... Conover Glazebrook all those guys are amazing right they're working their asses off they're producing the best thing they can do with what they have right but it's Bally's who has to open the piggy bank if they care a little bit just open it a little bit because you know what did they think they were just gonna buy this tour and spend nothing on it well we all know there was some behind the scenes that they were gonna even cut prize money but they (sighs) didn't thanks to the AVP team fighting for you guys I think it was like um
0: it was like the regional sports network play, right? Yeah. Like where they're just trying to get own content, yeah. And then they are just tell A. You, v. P. Here's your budget.
1: Yep. Uh, don't lose money. Yeah. And so I mean, deal and, with it. And by the way, for anyone out there who's saying, "Well, Cornell's on ESPN. Why well, is involved in ESPN?" But the guys who play Cornell make ten grand a year. The best, the number one guy in the world. So don't worry about Cornell, <laughs> right? You don't need to be on ESPN to make money. That's right. even though it'd be great. Yeah. That's not the absolute requirement, yeah. even though the early AVP in the 80s had a fight with ESPN, the and they'll never put it on again. But that's just, I yeah. think, from what I understand. Well, they
0: will if the sport's big enough. That's right. And if it'll so make them the money, point? Right. it's all that's, about making money.
1: In the end of the day, it is. like, And so we need to get this sport to a point where the, the leagues are viable financially, and the players financially get rewarded for the work that you guys put in. Yeah. Because it's nuts how much you guys train and lift and do recovery and work with sports psychs. So it's a full-time job. I don't think sure. like people who see you guys come down and train for two hours, five days a week, you know, typically, right? There's no days that I go to practice and just come back home. Never. I mean, that's, and that's it. It couldn't be. Like that's my day. Yeah, you couldn't be successful like that right. in today's world. Right. So, I mean, that's a good comparison for your earlier question of the different eras because I don't want to out any of my buddies. Always Larry Witt as an example because <laughs> Larry would maybe play two days a week. Crazy. And, and maybe go to the gym a few days a week. Yeah. And they were finishing and they were like a top five team for three years. Crazy. Two thousand three, four, and five. And they made more money in those three years than some of these top guys are gonna make in five. Yeah. They they did. They did well money wise. So it's like guys back then, and yeah, Larry was supremely talented. I mean, you ever seen someone hit over Furby's block twenty-seven times in a row, exactly in the corner? He was oh. like he was just like, we used to call Larry Witt, Lairbot, because he was like a robot. He did everything perfect, technically yeah. perfect. So that that was the thing. But in those days, guys were like, I don't have to train this week. Mm. I'll be fine. I'll go to the tournament. Dad, there's another good one. Rosie on his 21st birthday. Let's use this as another little segue. <laughs> <same way. laughs> Even though we're getting probably getting a little on time. Yeah. Um, we're fine. Okay. I mean, yeah, whatever you want, I'm cool. It's up to you. Rosie <laughs> and I we're spending a lot of time together and um we go out for 21st birthday um down at the pier in Hermosa. Rosie's 21st birthday yeah. at Hermosa Pier. And so it's oh, me and Rosie and we we're going to meet up time. with more people later, but early we were kind of kicking it at 16th Street where I was I just moved in to 16th. No, maybe a year earlier. By the way, another thing we'll get to at some point is the fact that in those days, you couldn't just walk up and play a game of volleyball in, in California. Right. Right? Guys would just tell you to go beat it. They'd right. be like, I don't know who the fuck you are. Get out that of here. It doesn't exist anymore. Now it's kind of... Actually, it's pretty cool, but you kind of have to bring your own players. But anyway, so Rosie and I were at 16th Street, and I'd finally broken in. I'd lived, I lived in my apartment down there for like a year before they let me play on that beach. Like... A that's year, 16th. like those guys were like, "Who the fuck get out of here, dude?" That's where you're living now. Yeah, 16th Street, Hermosa. Yeah. It was Acutubby and it was yeah, Ian right. Clark and all these Ian Martin, all these guys. Like right, and 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 anyway, so Rosie and I are hanging out. He had probably gotten done training or whatever, and it's his 21st birthday. And it's June, right? I think June 19th. Yeah, and. um and we're going to go get some drinks. So so my buddy Clayton, and um, rest in peace, Clayton. We love you, buddy. Um, Clayton uh, was a bartender at Sharky's for like 20 years. And um, he goes, hey, come on up. Except at that time, he had left Sharky's for like a year and went to Einstein's, which was then Abigail's. That one up on Manhattan Ave around the corner from Pier Avenue. It's now like, uh, anyway, you don't Nobody's know. Nobody's going to know. It's before your time. <laughs> and um, the guy puts 20 shots on the bar. And it's like, here you go, Rosie. This is your birthday present. And it was me, Clayton, one other guy, and Rosie. I can't remember who else was with us. Fuck. I wish I could remember. And me and Clayton and the other guy each do two shots. And Rosie precedes you all the rest of the shots in a row. Boom, 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 boom. Right? And he's just ready to go. Like 15? He did like... 14 shots maybe oh, 12 God. to 14 in that range to and, start the night. Oh dude, he was amazing. He was a he was a he's a rock star. That's so like, we uh, what Taylor tries to do something Yeah, so <laughs> we so we go out and we have a great night and we just we're just going through all the typical bars: you Sharkies, Hennessys, Malloys It's a fun night. I don't know. We're probably blacked out. I go in the house and he. I don't know what happens, to Rosie. Like, I think he's out on the porch sleeping on my couch. so I'm like, that's cool, out on the you know the deck furniture. I find out he he fell asleep over the railing with his arm like this. <laughs> and it pinches a nerve in his arm. and He loses feeling in his arm. Oh. So he has the Belmar open that weekend, that coming weekend. This is like a Tuesday or something. Right. And he can't feel his right hand. Like so, the next day? No, for like two weeks. Oh, God. He can't feel from like his elbow down. So he, maybe it was only like half his hand or something. But he said he couldn't hold the ball to throw it up for a serve. He couldn't handset, which he didn't do anyway, really. And he couldn't contact the ball right-handed. So he played the whole tournament left-handed, threw the ball left-handed, served left-handed, and got a 13th with Mark Williams, got two main draw wins. Because back then, it was 32-team draws. Right. Without oh being able to have feeling in his right hand. So that's another funny one. Sorry, Sean, if I outed you. But that was a great <laughs> it's night. It's all right, bro. You're
0: already in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah, they aren't going to take you out
1: now. <laughs> but that was another great one but it's just like those like there's a volleyball oh my God. like culture to the beach life and and like kevin cleary do you know kevin who's like i don't know that he name. was the original president of the avp in an oh, 83 yeah, yeah, okay. and he played on the avp for a long time and he's one of the greatest ambassadors of the sport because he's committed to the beach lifestyle more than anybody he still plays okay he's got to be like 70 and he's in unbelievable shape he still plays at least two days a week doubles competitively with good younger players. So, like, that's – I just want to mention Kevin Cleary because that's a little of his energy is kind of what is lost from the South Bay at least right now. But there's other places. You can go to Florida and still have guys hanging out on the beach and playing ball all day, right? right? We don't really have that anymore. You know what I mean?
0: And it's not
1: like – Not that that's a good
0: thing or a bad thing. I, I like – you know, thought that was the coolest thing, too. And then yeah. I saw how my life kind of developed yes. based on me just, you know, one step at a time putting things in place. And I'm it's not just, saying you as pros need to go hang out on the beach all day. No, That's silly. No, totally. You know, but, but like... It was a celebrated a bit, though. Yeah. And it still is a bit because I well, think... listen to fa- Hav or some of well, those like guys. Well, like, fans right? will come wow. out. See, so you traveled across the country. Yeah. You're here to watch volleyball, but also, like, kind of probably party and go to the bars yes. that night and, yes. like, hang out. And volleyball is one of those unique sports where... Athletes will actually come out.
1: You can't yeah. come out. You're going to see when, an NBA player no. out that night. Very rare, like, or if you do, uh, unless your you bodyguards are going to push you. Yeah, away, exactly. Right? But it's like it's like what Kent Steffa said on your show, mm. right? Was that he was like, we would go out early to the, to the site, to the city. And the local promoter at that city would set us up with these yes, gigs to right. go promote the sport. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's something we could really learn, you know? Oh,
0: 100%. And we'd be down to it. It's not too. up it's to you guys, it's athletes. the
1: tour has to do that.
0: And you kind of right? have to be You have to be paid to do it. Yeah, you do. I can't fly yes. out no. and skip
1: two days. No, you can't. Uh, a day or two. No, it has to be something without. that's built into the ecosystem where you know you're getting fairly compensated. Yes, you right? get compensated. And, yeah.
0: But we're marketing the tour, and we're and you build these athletes so that they're even more valuable to market your Cause tour. Because it's
1: it's a it's I still think we do have a little bit of a Cali Florida rivalry sometimes, which is cool, right? A little bit. You think so? A little yeah, bit. It Might still? be over now. Yeah, mostly right? over now. They're filling necker. That's oh yeah. They were really the the Florida like real standard bearers. Yeah, they didn't. They weren't yeah. like Florida. Florida crowd. Like raw, but, but like the but the Rosie's
0: Raiders were like. We made that You guys story. are Florida yeah, guys, yeah, right? We don't like you. You're Florida. The, there was a. I wish we. Were, it was more of like a Hawaii versus Cali versus Florida like vibe like that. You. Know? I
1: want someone who knows if I'm right about this or not because sometimes my memory fades a little on certain things. But the Greyhound. Nick's yeah, nickname, Nick, yeah. which I freaking love. I remember the first time I heard that was this guy, Vinny Tattoo, who's a 70s, kind of 70s open player Another who lives around the corner of me. 2003 Hermosa Open. He looks at me and goes, the Greyhound, Nick Lucena. But I, maybe it came from somewhere else, like he heard it from somewhere yeah, else. I just assume it was from Geeter or something. I know... Vinny Tattoo said that. Got but it. I want to know if someone else knows that maybe yeah. Geeter invented it. Geeter probably invented it, and he probably heard it. Who knows? But anyway, because Geeter was the – oh, he's such a legend. Geeter's a legend. And you know before Geeter, it was Jim Arico. Do you yes, ever meet know Arrico? Him. Yep. Rico's He's an SC guy. I love so, Rico. I know him. He's hes a bro. He's an all-time. He's still walking the show. One of the best yeah. ever. He, yeah. I
0: wonder if uh, any of the listeners knew, like – half the names that were mentioned here or like even like a, a few of
1: them dude it's oh yeah i forgot on that list with that early 2000 rosie Said Sulakane. look up that guy yeah, he was yeah, a, yeah. a qualifier guy from san diego Said was coming. Huh? there's so many guys like the sport has gone through so many interesting phases but in every phase you have those those young athletes who are scraping and calling to get through qualifiers yeah. to try to make a main draw and tell their buddies I fucking qualified for an AVP. Yeah, exactly. you know that's like, and then for those guys like you, you knew you were up ahead of that head, you know, early, right? I mean, yeah, did you yeah, know? Eventually. I mean, did you know you're like I'm not even to worry about qualifying. I'm like right what? in. Like At how, what point? How quick did you know you were going to be a main draw, good main draw player? Um, like wait, okay, so 2012 no, I didn't you started know.
0: playing, but 2011? Well, you, so like I got some confidence. Jeffrey when Carlson, I was, right? Yeah, Carlson. Yeah. Um, I got some confidence in college. I went back and played at Outrigger in an open. Okay. And Wong played. Okay. It was a KOB, actually. Wow. And then me and Wong were going at it <laughs> wow. uh, in the final. And cool I, I th- should have beat him. I was really pissed off. Wow. I thought I thought I should have beat him. You were right there
1: with Wong, and you hadn't really played. <laughs> and you could
0: tell, like, he's cruising. You then weren't he's playing like, Pearl okay, Beach at the time. You were indoor Oregon, no, no, right, yeah. at the time? But I, wow. I, I, me and Riley started taking it seriously in Hawaii because I've always been like Do you know like Brian a, Thornton? Yes. Okay. I've always been a beach guy, so mm-hmm. I uh, played as a kid in all these tournaments and started yeah. blocking balls. Okay. I, I started blocking balls at, in a different way, and I could tell from doing it and from other yeah. people like seeing me do it. And be yeah. like, "Whoa! Like, tries a different breed of blocker." Yeah.
1: And uh, so, so I when, took a lot of pride in it. When you came to AVP and started like playing qualifiers, you probably had a feeling that you were gonna get through that. I felt like pretty I quickly. Was, I felt like I was
0: a little higher level than you the guys I go was to, you, playing with. Did you go with.
1: to Europe at all and play indoors?
0: I did. I played in you Puerto did. Rico and oh. Turkey.
1: Oh, okay. You played in Turkey? Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. So
0: basically, two halves. Okay. Oh, no. And okay. then I went back to Puerto Rico. You did. So two okay. in Puerto Rico.
1: But then it was just beach after that.
0: Well, I was just playing beach in between. Okay. Because I'm like, I always knew that I was good at beach personally. Kind of like nobody Casey knew me. Kind of similar yeah, idea. Yeah. Like he would do
1: the Puerto Rico season, but he knew that beach My was My first his thing.
0: team in Puerto Rico was with Casey. No way. Yeah. You My guys, guys must first have pro game destroyed
1: people. Oh, uh, we were. All right. Yeah. We, we lost our setter. Uh, but guys um, like Felipe Rilat and setter? Yeah, no, I'm thinking of, like, some of the Puerto Rican guys down there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because there was some gnarly, like, Midwest school, like, IPFW I said, Puerto Rican's, right? Yeah, 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 No, I became real
0: real good friends with a bunch of them.
1: Dude, that's Um,
0: fun. But it wait, where are we going with this? I don't know.
1: We're just kind of (laughs) chatting about, like, you getting into the tour. Oh, yeah, so. Because I was just saying, like, here's the thing about what kept the AVP healthy to some extent was there's this layer just below it of rabid players who are good but not great, mm. who play in different levels of tournaments and then they want to watch their heroes play. Yeah. Like I played mostly in A's and double A's, right? And but I couldn't wait to see Rosie play and do things I could never hope to do. I couldn't wait to see Phil. Yeah. Or I couldn't wait to see Nick or you or yeah. whoever. Because it just in your head, you're just imagining how amazing that must feel to play volleyball like you guys do.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You so know, for but for me it was it was Literally one step at a time. Like yeah. I, I didn't even okay. know I could play AVP. I didn't even think about playing.
1: EVP. You went to Hyden in your basically your second or third year, right? It and was pretty I, quick. my
0: favorite blocker because
1: uh-huh. I because I love blocking yeah. so much yeah. was Sean Scott. No way. And you guys so are he, similar kind of. He
0: retired. I was like, oh, I got the Hawaii Dude. end. I'm gonna get Sean Scott's yes. number from whoever. I don't know who I got it from. Wow. Sean, uh, hey, uh, I'm a Hawaii boy. Like, can I come get reps with you? Or like, you know, I'll, whatever. Even if I'm shagging. Yeah. He's like, I'm retired, but here's Hayden's number.
1: Seriously? That's Heiden's how it went down? Hayden's in
0: the, in the off season. He's like, yeah, I mean, if you want to get reps, wow. I'm, a, I'm a rep guy. Just help me get reps. Holy smokes. And he, I thought I was just going to be kind of like yeah, maybe like slightly involved in practice, but like, let me get this guy his reps. That's unreal. He's like, all right, you can jump in. I mean, oh, and, okay, and, jump and in a little more. For those
1: of you who watch this who don't know, Sean Scott and John Hayden were the only team... that could regularly beat Phil and Todd you know not regularly but would beat Phil and Todd occasionally Rosie and and Jake very rarely but I mean Sean Scott and Hyden were really good won a lot of tournaments and for you to get that invitation to go get reps with Hyden is huge and then it was like a few weeks and he just kept
0: inviting me back and we just showed up and worked hard and then eventually he I remember where we were at Playa I was in the car like wiping sand off he's like hey let's give this a shot I was like Wait, what? And I think it's part of me being dumb, no like way. just oblivious. Yeah, you're
1: just like, oh, I thought I was just like training and getting reps yeah, yeah, and getting let's better. Let's do it.
0: I'm like, and you're All like, right, oh, wait let a let second. Let me tell I'm my agent that I quit indoor. Dude, I'm fucking fucking done in. and I'm in whatever Bro. you want. So rad. And then, yeah, the rest is history. And then
1: here, here we are in, in Orlando and in a couple of weeks. You're going to do it again one yeah. well last time. Yeah, and I think this Dude.
0: episode will have come out. So hopefully. Okay. Hopefully. Or, uh, sorry, the event will have played, we'll before have played this by comes the time this episode comes out. So hopefully. It'd be really cool Dude, to, you to go will, end you guys, on a win, you maybe. Will, you guys could easily. We got some it. tough teams for sure, but I mean, well, fifty years old. Tay and, Tay and Phil are playing together, huh? It'll be a cool final. if that'll we could get Phil and Tay, yeah, that'd be in amazing. Final.
1: Other than that, it's are Cam Theo in? Cam are in, I think. Are they playing? Think. I don't maybe think maybe, they're not. Playing. maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe they're, they're not playing. In. Yeah. See, I was saying like there's some opportunity for you to get to the finals. This could be amazing. I know. Dude, well, it's gonna be good. The fans will know by the time they're listening. And this to Orlando this. spot's pretty cool. This Tavares, have you been out there? You, did you do that King of the Beach two years ago? I don't think no, you did. No,
0: people talk about it. It, it was cool. Sounded it sounded kind of lame.
1: Well, it's but... like here's the thing you're in the swamp in Orlando, but you've got this little oasis, this grassy oasis yeah. with some sand courts and a nice little setup. It's and low key. It's low key, but that's yeah. kind of, that kind of works for right now. I think, like if everything was gold series i'd I'm sure I'd like it better,
0: yeah, but
1: I think it like the a v p had to move from Atlantic City right to get this event, I think it was kind of last minute, and I think it's a good like yeah it'll work
0: all right, well, you know? hopefully, yeah, hopefully I did well in that event, only you <laughs> listeners will know. <laughs> But um, yeah. we've been going for a good amount here, Ed.
1: I don't know what, how long we been talking Thanks for coming on the show.
0: Oh, I know that we could uh, <laughs> I don't probably know, go good. for I'm good. This is nice no, This
1: is amazing. I uh, tra- appreciate gotta you. Got to get some dinner. Yeah. yeah. You must be getting hungry after your workout. A little bit. Dude, all thanks, good. brother. Yeah, appreciate thanks it. Thanks for coming on, man. Dude, it's cool always time. a pleasure. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure
0: we'll have plenty more. Okay, let's do it. Later.
1: Shoots. Sure. Shoot.